Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name's Marion Rose, PhD, and in this episode, I'm talking all about the self-connected approach to eating for children, which is really all about trusting children's innate body wisdom in relation to food. So this is a part of the Food, Feelings and Trust series. The first episode was the last one where I introduce this whole topic and the things I'm going to be talking about in this series. And what I would love to say to start off with is that I call this self-connected eating, but the official aware parenting terms are either the self-demand approach to eating or self-regulated eating. I just love self-connection. And if you know me, you know my passion for language and how for each of us I find thinking of speaking with language that really supports us to feel in our bodies the way that helps us with our parenting and with our life is something I really enjoy. So that's my preference. Please listen in to yourself and what you enjoy. So I talked in that intro episode about aware parenting being based on trust, on the innate wisdom of our bodies One of the most important things as parents is to get free from our own cultural conditioning in relation to food and meals and our own hurts and trauma and control patterns so that we can support our children in staying connected with their innate wisdom or reconnecting with it. So as always, there's a caveat that please, please, please always trust yourself if you sense that they're are physiological issues going on with your child such as something's going on with their gut biome or allergies or anything like that please trust yourself and please adjust any information I share here for example if your child has a medical condition all of those kinds of things please 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 always with all of these episodes please take into account your unique family situation and knowing that each child is so different each child is a unique being and please always listen to them and listen to yourself so what i love to start with is really recognizing this combination between our innate wisdom as human beings and the interplay that we have with the culture that we are born into and grow up in. So really central to aware parenting is the philosophy that as human beings, we have this incredible, beautiful, innate wisdom. And that babies and children also have this innate biological, psychological wisdom. So quite different from some other paradigms there is nothing flawed with them they're not inferior and they come into this world with this innate wisdom including about what nourishment their body needs and when and how often but alongside this incredible beautiful wisdom is the other side of the picture which is that they are designed to learn about the family and the culture that they live in, that they're growing up in. And again, you know, I like to think about our hunter-gatherer origins and the ways that our bodies and psyches are often still living in relation to those origins. So that would mean learning about what foods were poisonous and how to gather and hunt and prepare foods. So 
in other words, children are constantly learning from us and from their environment, from others, which includes media, all the things, their friends, peers, about food. So in other words, this is ongoing interplay between their innate wisdom in relation to food and nourishment and the family and culture that they're born into. And in a healthy culture, they would be supported to stay deeply connected with their innate wisdom, whilst also learning about the traditions and diet and so on of their culture and the climate and what that means about what foods are available and how they're prepared and all of those things. So their innate wisdom requires that they're present in their body, that they can feel the sensations, including thirst and hunger, that the desire for food, disgust, displeasure and pleasure, satiation and discomfort from overfulness, all of these different sensations tell them, give them important information about what their body needs. And that's the wisdom. So, for example, thirst and hunger, of course, tells them that their body requires fluid or food. A sense of being drawn towards a particular food suggests that that food might be what their body needs, particularly if they've tasted it before and they're familiar with it. Disgust and displeasure might tell them that the food isn't helpful for them. Pleasure might indicate that the food is likely to be helpful for them. Satiation tells that they, they've had enough. And the discomfort from overfulness tells them that they've had too much. So being deeply connected with the sensations in their bodies and being supported by us to stay connected with those and to read those sensations accurately is what helps them be connected with that innate wisdom. And I'm going to be sharing information about what happens and what can get in the way. And in the DDC, the Disconnected Domination Culture, there are many things that can help children disconnect from their innate wisdom in relation to food. And as always, you probably know by now, and this is unless perhaps this is the first episode that you're listening to, I am so passionate about us as parents getting free from our own disconnected domination culture in relation to picking up guilt sticks or shame sticks or self-judgment sticks in relation to our parenting. Well, in relation to everything, but specifically here in relation to parenting. And what I would love to offer is that Again, in a healthy culture, we'd be supported to constantly learn new things and knowing that just because we didn't know something before doesn't mean we need to judge ourselves or shame ourselves. Just because as parents, we may have done things differently because we didn't know what we know now. And yes, that might have been painful for our child or children. We do not need to pick up those sticks. We can say, I'm not willing to judge myself or shame myself or guilt myself. I am willing to be deeply compassionate with myself. And of course, we might mourn that we didn't have this information. We might feel sad. We might want to repair with our child and support them, as we're going to be talking about here, to perhaps return to 
a connection with themselves that they might have had had we known this information. But it really is possible to do all of that without picking up those guilt or shame sticks. So I'd really love to emphasize that. And it's so in my mind at the moment with editing this next book of mine. I'm here and I'm listening, which I also did so much if you've read my last book, The Emotional Life of Babies, is any time I'm sharing information which I think people might be tempted to pick up those sticks in response to, I like to just remind you, really don't need to pick up those sticks. Yes, we were trained to, we learned to in this culture, we can be compassionate with ourselves for needing to do that back then, but we do not need to do that anymore. So given all of that, what can get in the way? What can get in the way of our children's incredible, innate body wisdom that's been, you know, in the lineage for many, many, many years. So there are lots of different things. The first thing is, and again, this is why I really invite you to be deeply compassionate with yourself, us not responding to the hunger cues accurately. So there can be all different ways and reasons for us doing this. So that might mean that we just don't read the hunger cues accurately or in an attuned way. And that can be, which is very, very common in our culture, that we frequently offer food to our baby or child when they actually are not hungry and they have what I call healing feelings to express. That's feelings in relation to overwhelming events, just a busy day, stress or trauma. It can even just be, you know, a busy day like Halloween or a birthday. I'm actually recording this on the 31st of October. So if you're listening to this now, you might have noticed your child having lots of big feelings after a busy day. It's really normal and natural for them to want to express those feelings through crying and through raging. And in our culture, we don't get taught this. So it's really common that we will offer food thinking that they're hungry or, or hangry. And this is what happened to so many of us. It's one of the most common ways to suppress feelings in children. Well, probably alongside screens, but you know, especially in the earlier years. Very, very common. So let's be really compassionate with all, all of ourselves. All of us. Ourselves. <laughs> so what can happen if we frequently offer them food when they actually have healing feelings to express is that they can then learn to interpret those sensations of upset feelings. So those sensations in their bodies, they can interpret as, ah, whenever I feel this sensation, this means hunger. And so then whenever they feel upset, they'll search out for or ask for food. It's very, very common. Many of us experience this. It's passed down in families, so it's very common if... You, you might notice if your parents tend to eat when they're upset, you might notice that that's what you do. You might have passed that on to your child. So important for us to be compassionate with ourselves. And I will be talking a lot more about this in the upcoming episodes, particularly on control patterns for our babies and our children and ourselves. And if you think about it, when I was talking back about those sensations in their bodies, if they're using food to dissociate, some of the calling to eat foods at particular times won't be because they're feeling a sensation of hunger. It will be to suppress feelings. 
And if they're dissociating while they're eating, that means they're going to be less connected with the sensations in their bodies. That's the whole point of dissociation. So again, it's going to be harder for them to feel connected enough with the sensations in their bodies to be able to tell that a flavor or a texture isn't enjoyable or that they are uncomfortable or they're full or just that that food isn't a fit for them. However, what I want to say is even if we've done this with our babies or our children, it's still possible to help them reconnect with their innate body wisdom and accurately read their own internal cues again and so to be able to differentiate hunger from upset feelings from tiredness for example and I'll share more about this my experience with my daughter who I supported to move from a control pattern related to food to completely being connected with her body in relation to food so again I really want to remind you that's one of the most beautiful things about aware parenting Whatever we've done in the past is possible to support our children to return to this deep self-connection. So if you're feeling concerned right now, I want to share that I gave my daughter a breastfeeding control pattern and then I helped to get free from it by the time she was about three by continuing to practice all the aspects of aware parenting. And I'm going to be talking about that more. So please be compassionate with yourself and I really want to let you know it's really possible so what else can happen so this can also be if perhaps we don't give a baby or a child food when they're actually hungry so of course this used to be very common perhaps in the 50s 60s 70s feeding scheduled feedings with babies you know certain hour gap no relationship to whether they were hungry or not and it can also happen if perhaps a child is hungry and they're told that eating now will spoil their dinner I don't know if that phrase is used anymore but I certainly know in the 70s when I was growing up there's a very common thing no you can't have any food it will spoil your dinner I'm not saying my parents said that but I remember many parents saying that. And what I want to say is all the responses from babies and children in relation to food are deeply wise and they make sense when we inquire into what's going on. So again, if you think about that interrelationship between their innate wisdom and their design to fit into the family and culture they're born into, whatever's going on with a child with food will make sense when we take into account all those factors. So it's really, again, just trusting that there's nothing wrong with children. You know, they're not inferior. They're not flawed. They're basically kind of working out the most optimal solution between those two elements that are important for them. So the second thing that can get in the way of their innate wisdom is us restricting what they eat at home. So this means restricting them from having things that are available in the house. So I always remember before I became a parent, I had some friends who had a young child and they didn't want her to have any sugar. So they didn't let her have any sugar, but they ate it. So I really remember, I still remember as as if it was yesterday, that we all went out, a whole group of us, 
and we all had dinner and then we all had this lovely puddings and all the adults were having the lovely puddings but the parents were not willing for the children to have the puddings and I remember thinking at the time gosh I imagine feeling powerless I imagine feeling all kinds of feelings so another day I was with another one of our friends who was babysitting for these children and we were chatting and then we went into the kitchen and she was in there and she'd gone through all of my friend's cupboards and had found sugar cubes again I don't know if even sugar cubes are around nowadays but they're little cubes of sugar and she was just basically eating as many as she could and I really saw so clearly then that forbidden foods become more desirable and that of course she was disconnecting from her body wisdom was that craving for the forbidden food became the most desirable thing that overrode imagine the sensations in a body from actually eating that you know I you know I'm making a face now I can imagine you might be the thought of eating lots of sugar cubes and just so so sweet so this is really different from making choices for ourselves as parents or as a family about what we don't want to come into our houses. Of course, it's so important that we make choices about what we are not willing to come in to the house. So, for example, in my family, when my children were younger, I wasn't willing for anyone to have artificial flavors and colors. And that was partly because of some experiences I'd had from having them and I just wasn't willing for that so pretty much none came into a house well very occasionally but it was pretty much in general that there were none in our house so if they ever received this kind of thing such as from relatives I would offer to swap them from other sweets or chocolates that didn't have the artificial colors and flavors in however I do remember one time my son my don't remember what happened but he got to have one or maybe he just wanted to try some and he had some and he actually did feel you know had some symptoms after that which you know then he also actually didn't want to have them so do you see the difference it's like we make the choice about what comes into a house but then given what is in the house then not restricting what they have and particularly not restricting them from eating things that we are eating in front of them. So if we're eating X, Y, and Z in front of them, we're like, oh, this is delicious, but we're not willing for you to have any. That is going to really inspire them to really want that thing. So yes, we may want to eat foods we don't want them to have. So I would then recommend finding other ways to do that. And in terms of this self-connected approach and does it in inverted commas work well I always love sharing the story that for some years the whole fridge door became a chocolate door and that really was the chocolates and other things that they'd received sweet things from family members from Christmas and Easter and Halloween and they really had no urgency to eat it ever so at Easter, they'd often just eat, you know, one chocolate or a bit of chocolate. And then they'd 
put it in the door and it may have stayed there for days literally it was the funniest thing because often a lot of this chocolate was like years old it was just so much chocolate they didn't want to get rid of it but they had no urgency which was so different for me for many many years my experience with chocolate was very different to that I did eventually get to a self-connected relationship with it but it took me decades literally so that was always the the funny joke in in our family that I shared the story with many people so in other words whatever's in the home supporting children and my children could choose to eat whatever was there whenever they wanted and however much they wanted so I'm going to talk more about how that looks but so basically understanding that restricting how much they eat, what they eat within the home generally makes something more desirable. Or if it's outside the home and we're eating it and they're not like those friends many years ago, often overrides their innate wisdom. So another thing that can get in the way is if we're using rewards, punishments, shaming, guilting, coercing them in relation to food. And again, of course, this is really common in our culture. So... I'm sure you may have experienced this growing up. And again, if you've done this to your child, I really invite you to put down those emotional sticks. It's really so understandable and so natural. And I want to remind you, you know, this isn't about some idea of perfection. This is just about understanding what can help our children move away from being really connected with their bodies and what we can do to help them move back towards that deep connection. So common things are giving sweets to a child who's done their homework, telling a child that they can only eat their pudding when they've eaten the main course, coercing a child to eat when they don't want to or when they're full up, or shaming a child for not wanting to eat or only wanting certain foods, coercing them to sit at the table when everyone else is still sitting there or until everyone's finished. Basically, all of these get in the way of a child's deep connection with their body and their innate wisdom. And of course, if you think about it, there's going to be then all kinds of extra feelings on top of and connected with food. The shame, the guilt, the painful feelings related to their own self-judgment. And if you think about it, things like if we give sweet food as a reward for savoury food, research shows that a child will actually lose innate motivation to eat the savoury food and will prefer the sweet. So just like rewards in other things, it's why aware parenting is a form of non-punitive discipline, which means no punishments and no rewards, because again, it actually disconnects children from their innate wisdom. It means they're actually going to be less likely to want to eat the savoury food or you know whatever else it is if in other examples and another thing is our own reactions to their eating so i have have an example here which i was actually remembering the other day with someone and this is when my son he was about one and a half two and he used to love eating spirulina tablets. He used to love them, absolutely loved them. And he'd just eat them and eat them. And then he'd have all this, this green spirulina around his mouth, which was really funny. And it was wonderful. But he used to love running around. And then he'd do this kind of fun thing where he'd kind of run forward towards the couch and then kind of put his whole face on the couch. And 
I don't know why. Why did I? I had a white cover on the couch. It was washable and I took it off. And, you know, we had dogs and I was always washing it. But why? Why did I have a white couch with children and dogs? I don't know why. If I went back again, I wouldn't do that. Anyway, I remember one time having a reaction when he'd yet again got green spirulina all over the white couch and he never again wanted the green spirulina tablets well of course he didn't and I always really regret that I'm like oh my gosh he might have who knows how much longer he would might have loved those spirulina tablets so that was just one example you know we can have reactions to certain things that happen and again if you think about it because children come ready to to learn for example like if a food is poisonous again we go back to our hunter-gatherer origins if we have a kind of shocked reaction in relation to food that would be very important for a child to then take notice of that because it might be indicating that 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 food is poisonous and then better not go near that berry bush or whatever so you know that really worked there and even though I did give him information and I did do a detachment play and various things he never again ate spirulina tablets ever so that's my example to that <laughs> and then of course is our own relationship with food so again because children are designed they're meant to learn from us just as I was saying they're often affected by our own relationship to food. And this often can be really painful for us because, again, so many of us have disconnected from our own intrinsic wisdom in relation to food. Of course we have because we're so wise and we grew up in a culture where that was what we learned to do through all these things I've gone through above and others. And it takes quite a while, I found, <laughs> to really free ourselves from those and deeply reconnect with our innate wisdom and trust our bodies so it's really normal and natural that when we have young children in particular we are still in the throes of our own slightly or a lot disconnection from our bodies so that can be all kinds of things as well. Like we might get really excited when we're talking about a certain kind of food. Like, oh my gosh, you know, let's go and get pizza or whatever it is. You know, again, this, this is going to have an effect on them. And of course it is. And this can be something that we can really build upon and enjoy. You know, you might really want to have these beautiful family rituals of enjoying, I don't know, whatever it is, pizza night or, you know, veggies from the garden prep or whatever it is and to be really excited about it and that can be something to be really built upon but also it can mean that if we really love something that actually we prefer them not to really love they probably will end up loving it if we're really going on about how amazing it is all the time and similarly if we show disgust in relation to a certain food they're also likely to learn that internalize that and again it's all part of them needing to learn about what foods are helpful in the culture also if we talk about foods being treats or being naughty or that we're bad when we eat a certain food and that was certainly the language I grew up with growing up in England there was so much about oh that's a treat or 
you know, people would just say that so often, oh, I'm being so naughty, I'm having a piece of cake. I mean, just that really, you know, that really communicates something, doesn't it? If we restrict ourselves and say that we shouldn't or we can't, or if we go on particular diets, again, all this information may affect our child's relationship with food. And as always, I really invite you to drop this, the sticks. And, you know, so many of us can have really a lot of pain, a lot of trauma underlying our relationship with us with food so again please listen to yourself any point I didn't say this but it's a you know a caveat for all these episodes if you ever starting to have feelings coming up or you think listening to an episode might help you connect with really a lot of big feelings I do invite you not to listen or to pause and make sure you get lots of support reach out to a listening partner or an aware parenting instructor to yeah, really get support. So I think it can be so important if we have got a lot of feelings in relation to food that we do our own inner work as parents because that is one of the most powerful ways that we affect our children's relationships with food. And you know me, I don't really like the term disorder. So, you know, there's the term eating disorders. I would say for whatever reason, people relate to food in whatever ways they do again there would be great meaning and if we look at what's gone on in somebody's life there would be really important reasons why they're doing what they're doing if we look again at that interaction between their innate wisdom and what they've grown up with we are always doing and our bodies are always doing the utmost we can in the situation we're in so I really want to remind you of that so again, this can be an invitation for us to develop a more self-connected relationship with food too. And certainly something I found through supporting my children with this, it's really helped me return to a deep self-connection with my body in relation to food. And again, if certain foods are control patterns for us, so if we might eat chocolate every time we feel upset and our children see that happening they might also learn that certain foods as control patterns again it's another thing that commonly gets passed down the wonderful thing about all of this is that the more we do our own inner work and become more relaxed in relation to food and more trusting of ourselves and more enjoying food that our body loves that will also affect our child and children. And it's never too late. Like I used to say a lot to myself as a parent of younger children, tomorrow is another day. So if I'd had a tough day or I'd done things that I regretted, I remind myself tomorrow is another day. We can always start again. And the other thing I want to remind you, along with this invitation for self-compassion, is that because this wisdom is innate, we can always help our children return to it. If for all kinds of reasons they've moved away from that, we can help them return to being deeply connected with that body wisdom again, using the principles and practices of aware parenting. So one of the ways I like to think about this is thinking about the three aspects of aware parenting and how using those can support our children to return to that innate body wisdom so if you're not familiar with those three aspects you'd like a little reminder the first one is attachment style parenting the second is non-punitive discipline and the third one is understanding the 
effects of stress and trauma on children's behavior and supporting them to naturally heal from that through attachment play and crying and raging. So let's go briefly through each one of those. So with attachment style parenting, if you think about it, it's really about coming back to connection. So when we offer lots of connection and supporting them to reconnect with or stay connected with their bodies, particularly when they're hungry in relation to what they want to eat and how much and when they're full. And when we're responding increasingly in an attuned way in, in, and depending on what age they are and with conversation and supporting them to really connect back in with these sensations that give them so much information about that innate wisdom in relation to what, when and how much their bodies need. People often focus on the crying aspect of aware parenting, but that really is its third in the list. Connection, presence and attunement, i.e. attachment style parenting, is always first. So that might be all kinds of things, and we're going to talk about this more, and particularly as the series goes on, but it might be having conversations about food. I'll be asking them how they feel in their bodies when they ask for certain foods and during eating and afterwards, and also sharing our own experiences. That can help them connect with the sensations in their bodies and understand them and listen to them. And when they're babies, this also includes ourselves aiming to differentiate between when they're hungry and when they have healing feelings. And then whenever possible, listening to those healing feelings. So we're really differentiating as much as we possibly can, which is often really, really hard especially if it's the first time we've done it and we're the first generation aware parenting parents. But doing that can be one of the things to help them stay connected with that innate wisdom. So the second thing, non-punitive discipline. So this really means refraining from rewarding with food, refraining from calling certain foods treats or saving sweet food for always after savoury. It means not judging, shaming or blaming or coercing and not rewarding or praising children when they eat foods that we want them to eat, such as, you know, good girl or good boy or good job or well done. And again, I invite you to put down any sticks that you might be tempted to pick up. It's so natural and understandable that you might do things like this, particularly given that this may be exactly what you grew up with and heard. And particularly when we're stressed, and overwhelmed it's so normal for us to return to our own conditioning so again this is not about trying to do something in inverted commas perfectly the whole concept of perfect is a disconnected domination culture consciousness it's about being aware of these things doing whatever we can do being really compassionate with ourselves when we do other things and doing whatever we can to repair and knowing that for the majority of us, we are doing so much more than what we received and our children will then go on and do so much more than what they receive from us that we are in that evolutionary ladder. So the third thing, healing through attachment playing, crying and raging. So I really want to say with food, Aletha Salter, who's the founder of Aware Parenting, I'm sure you probably know, she's really clear that food control patterns are similar to thumb sucking as a control pattern. 
So just as we would never recommend taking a child's thumb out of their mouth, we're also really cautious about loving limits in relation to food. So Letha recommends generally only using loving limits with food in the case of breastfeeding because it's the mother's body. It's her getting to have choice about what happens with her body. Or if the child is overweight or has health challenges, particularly in relation to food. So I didn't say this here. I'm saying it now. (laughs) But I really recommend her book, Cooperative and Connected. She has a beautiful chapter on eating And on page 171, she says, if your child overeats to numb painful emotions, the most effective approach in the long run is to address his underlying feelings instead of trying to control what he eats. So if we're really responding with loving limits, it's still not supporting a child to actually return to actually being connected with their innate body wisdom. However, we can use attachment play in relation to food. So that might be, you know, pretending to be a cookie and our child is chasing us around the house to to eat the cookie and then we pretend, oh, I'm a cookie and you're eating me all up or I'm a bit of celery and jumping around and, you know, doing nonsense play, being silly and goofy. So we can respond with attachment play when they are wanting to eat to suppress feelings. We can bring attachment play in. However... There are plenty of other things we can do. I mean, we can aim to increase emotional safety in general. So that's bringing in more connection, more attachment play, avoiding distracting them from their feelings, doing our own inner work so that they're freer to cry and rage in general. As I say, that might be noticing where we're, we're distracting them from their feelings or when we're trying to fix things, such as when they have broken cookie moments. So broken cookie moment is when for example it's the last cookie in the jar or the packet and it's broken and they suddenly have a really big cry or big tantrum in relation to the cookie being broken and rather than trying to fix it and say you know I'll go to the shops and get you a new one or whatever it's really trusting that that is them trying to find a pretext to express the big feelings. So it's really looking at the ways where we might be inadvertently, of course, so understandably, because that was probably what was done to us, where we're distracting them from their feelings. And of course, we can offer loving limits elsewhere. So if there's aggression, for example, or they're just asking for one thing after the next after the next and they're clearly agitated and antsy we might just say i'm not willing to cut some more sandwiches sweetheart so that'd be another broken cookie if they're like they're really upset because they don't like the way we've cut their sandwiches they will be looking for opportunities to cry so although in general alitha recommends not using loving limits with food we can find plenty of other places to offer those to support our children to express feelings that they are suppressing. And we might also use a touch and play to help children feel generally more relaxed around food, particularly if we've been restrictive or we've been stressed. And again, this is why it's so important to have our own support, to have a listening partner or an aware parenting instructor where we can express all our fears and concerns and stresses and so on of course it's so natural to feel 
stressed or concerned around food and because of course you want our children to be healthy and most of us have got a whole lot of history in relation to that and often also intergenerational history like famine, starvation, things like that in our lineage that can be a really helpful thing to explore. I've found that so often with parents or if you look at your lineage and what part of the world you come from, that can also be really helpful information. So just, of course, let's be so compassionate with ourselves around food. Of course, it's going to be charged for the majority of us. So what can make it hard for us to do these, to attend to these three aspects of aware parenting in relation to food? What can make it hard for us to trust our children's innate wisdom in relation to food and eating? Well, there are a few different things. Our own innate wisdom wasn't trusted, so it's really hard for us to trust theirs when ours wasn't and where we might not have reclaimed that for ourselves yet. Could be our own control patterns in relation to food or eating issues that are a lens through which we see our child and then it becomes hard to see clearly what's actually going on for them. Again, the intergenerational trauma in relation to things like famine in the lineage. Then there's our cultural conditioning in terms of beliefs about children and food. So that might be, you know, children should sit at the table while everyone else sits and wait until everybody's finished, those kinds of things. And it can also be judging ourselves and our parenting in terms of what they eat or don't eat. Again, this is so common and so understandable. You might find yourself comparing what your child eats compared to someone else, particularly, you know, if you have friends who their children only eat super duper things that you might call healthy and perhaps your child doesn't, it can be really painful. These things can be really, really painful. So again, our own healing is of core importance here. Our own control patterns, our own history in relation to food really so important for us to be doing our own inner work so that as much as we possibly can we can support our children to stay connected with or to reconnect with their innate wisdom in relation to food so I love working with parents in relation to these things pretty much all aware parenting instructors can help with this and also again having a listening partner to share feelings with can be vital as part of us getting freer from our own conditioning how might these things show up? So one of the things can be worry. Have you ever found yourself feeling worried? If so, you're so not alone. You know, and of course, you, I'm imagining, have a need for health, for your child to be really healthy. So you might worry that they're not eating enough, they're eating too much or not enough of the certain food or too much of another food. And from a Marian Method perspective, not aware parenting, what I love to do when there's worry or fear is, first of all, em- receiving empathy. That might be from your inner loving parents. Then connecting with what we do want instead. So, oh, well, yeah, I feel really... So that might I do a little demo. Oh, sweetheart, I really hear that you feel scared when you see them eating that thing for the third time today and I really hear that you're concerned when you imagine that they might grow up and not be healthy of course you want them to be healthy sweetheart so then connecting with what you do want so what is it that you really want ah you really want them to be really healthy of course you do you want them to be connected with their innate body wisdom of course you do sweetheart 
And then we might connect him with doing some willingness work in relation to really, are we willing for them to be healthy? Are we willing them to be deeply connected with their bodies? And that can be then helpful going into our parenting to keep reconnecting with, I'm really willing for them to be healthy. I'm really willing for them to be deeply connected with their bodies in relation to food. That can really help if we're going in with those kinds of thoughts and sensations in our bodies when we're going in to interact with them. So another really common experience is to feel upset if they or when they don't eat food that we've carefully made and that might be because we really have a need for appreciation. Of course we do. I wonder if you've ever felt disappointed or powerless or rageful or just just sad if they don't eat what you've made and perhaps you've taken ages preparing it. it can take a long time sometimes can't it and so again really acknowledging of course you have a need for acknowledgement and perhaps appreciation perhaps support maybe ease or community or there might be our own feelings from our childhood coming up so again exploring our own thoughts and feelings that might come up if they don't enjoy what we eat, again, taking that to a listening partner. And again, if you were doing the Marian method, that might be your inner beloved, or it might be actually the the soul version of your child who's saying, Mum or Dad, I love what you've made. I so appreciate all the effort and time and care you put into making food for me. I'm, I really see how disappointed you are that I didn't like that. No, I just don't like it. But I really appreciate all the care that you put into it. That can be really helpful to hear internally, especially if they're younger and they're perhaps not, you know, that's not something they don't, they do. What else can happen? Well, there can be judgments. This is our cultural conditioning, of course. So we might judge our child. My gosh, they're an X, Y and Z because they're eating all of this da-da-da-da or they're not eating X, Y and Z. Having judgments about our child or ourselves or our cooking or our parenting, again, that's often going to get in the way of us being present and connected in our bodies, which is required to support them to be present and connected with their bodies. So again, I'm talking a lot about the Marian method work because often our own reparenting, I mean, that's the method, of course, that I love and choose. So with the Marian method work, we really can be willing to not judge ourselves we can be willing to not judge our child and again this takes time it's not something that happens overnight but it really is possible because whenever we're judging them I, I did the experiment I wonder if you have to I found whenever I was judging myself or my child or my parenting or their eating nothing after that ever went so well <laughs> so it just doesn't work Again, our own self-inquiry is vital. When we're reactive, we're judging ourselves or them, or whether when we're scared or we're tempted to use coercion or power over, it's really a sign that we need some listening time for us. And so we can inquire into all these things. Were we judged and shamed? Were we punished and rewarded? Were we fed to suppress feelings? Were we made to wait when we were hungry? Did our parents eat food in front of us that they weren't willing for us to eat? And so on and so on and so on. So natural that we might have a lot of big feelings about these things to express. I'm sending love to any and all feelings that you're feeling 
even just listening to this. So what about practical actions? What can we do in practical terms instead to, again, support our children to either stay connected with this innate wisdom or return to being connected with it again? So as I say, making clear choices about what foods we have at home. So that's, you get to choose what what are you going to have and again, this is when they're younger, this starts to change as they get older, of course, and they have more and more agency and autonomy. But particularly in the early years, this is so important. And we all make choices about what to include. So as I shared earlier, I had a note of things with artificial flavors. Aletha Salter talks in cooperative and connected about not bringing in foods that she called high in unhealthy fats like potato chips so we're all probably going to have things where we're like "Mm, no that's a no for me (laughs) I invite you to listen to that and of course it's so important to deeply listen into ourselves about what we have a no for in our house and we're really clear about that and then within the house supporting them to have free choice about what and when and how much they eat So they get to choose what they eat and when they eat it and how much of it they get. And important to this is offering a wide variety of food or food groups. And that might be, again, if they're younger, going with them to the fridge or the cupboard, maybe showing them different foods, supporting them to stay connected with their body when they're choosing when, what and how much to eat. And also making all the foods similarly easy and available to access. So, for example, if the packaged food is really easy to just open and anything else that perhaps is made of vegetables, for example, or fruit takes more time to prepare, it's common for children to have a need for ease, just like us, that they might reach for the thing that is easiest. So it can be really helpful to get all kinds of things that are actually ready to eat, perhaps in bite-sized pieces for younger children and offering a selection of foods and including sweet foods at the same time so that they can choose. So if it's something outside the house, it might be more of an occasional food, we might have a yes for things. We might be willing for them to have an occasional food that we wouldn't be willing to have inside the house. And again, that's all about conversation and and talking and explaining and really kind of listening in to both of us through the conversation about what action to take. So again, from my own experience, what I did, and I'm so incredibly grateful that I had the resources to do that, is I bought about 90% of our food from our local health food shop, which I still love. (laughs) So because they were homeschooled and it was me with them most of the time they would come with me to the shop every time and they would choose what they wanted and I remember so much of that being so fun I remember I'm just remembering now at one point they had a little kind of tiny little shopping trolley and a little kind of uh, another kind of trolley so we had one of each of those and I remember how excited they were to take those in and they'd, they'd probably have baby dolls on slings on their backs and they'd have all the gear and it was so fun for them to go around and choose things and it was really enjoyable I enjoyed it too I mean most of the time not always obviously but it's really fun you know what would you like to choose and again really supporting them I loved supporting them to go you know what do you really love and actually getting to look at all the different beautiful organic 
fruit and vegetables, you know, what color draws you and what does your body say yes to and what do you love? And it was really enjoyable a lot of the time to actually make that whole experience enjoyable and they had that sense of choosing it. And then we would bring it home. And again, for a few years, I had this experiment that I really enjoyed, which is they each had a shelf in the fridge. So they'd choose their own food, the shop, and then I'd prepare it so they could easily eat it. So I had these beautiful glass sandwich box things. And so if it was melon, I'd cut the melon up and the carrots up and all the things into bite-sized pieces for them when they when they were younger so that at any point they could go in and it was so fun and I had, I had a little sticker on the side which was theirs and they had this beautiful experience of they got to choose and they could have what they wanted when they wanted. Of course there might be restrictions for all kinds of other reasons, there might be financial reasons too, but again we can be having conversations about this and, and our why and explaining. So this isn't, I hope you're really getting sense, it's just, it isn't just saying yes, it's about listening into our needs, it's about being willing for everyone to get their needs met, it's about having conversations, it's about really supporting them to be connected with their bodies, it's not just saying yes. It's about us being connected with ourselves, us being connected with them, and so them being more connected with their sensations in their bodies, as we were talking about right at the beginning. So holding that in mind, that might be a helpful thing to hold in mind, remembering all those different sensations and feelings and what they're indicating. That's what we're wanting, well, in a way, parenting for them to be connected with those sensations and what those sensations tell them about food. So again, of course, it depends on each family and each child, whether they're going other places and how old they are when that happens. And of course, there might be then just conversations and each family situation is going to be so different. I'm giving my example. Every single family is going to have a different way of being with this. You're going to have different things that you have a no for. You're going to have a different way of working with this. So again, there's no have to here. It's about understanding the basic philosophy and then applying it to your own unique situation. So again, I think I already shared this, didn't I? The choices that we might make. So for example, at occasions like Halloween, you might just go, yeah, Halloween, maybe you don't normally like artificial flavorings and colors either. And perhaps at Halloween, though, that you say you are willing for them to have whatever they get. Or maybe you do like I did for several years, which I'd, I'd offered to replace the sweets that had chemicals in with sweets or chocolates without them from the health food shop. And then as they get older, we do things like we go to the, we, have a, we actually have a little old fashioned sweet shop in our town, which is just so wonderful. Oh, wow, is it wonderful? It reminds me of my own childhood. Anyway, occasionally, every so often, we'd go there and that would be really fun that they'd go through all these little things and they'd choose what they wanted. And so again, we'd, we'd have fun with it. So it wasn't like a, again, you know, it's important to be careful if we're, really like again it can make it more interesting to them they can be like wow why is mum like that in relation to that food I'm curious I want to find out more so there are fun things that we can do about that 
And again, as they get older, they have more agency outside the home. There's more opportunity for discussions about the food choices they make and the things that they buy. And again, doing our own inner work of putting down those future thinking sticks, getting clear about our needs and values. Listening to those lovely little younger parts of us means we're more likely to be able to respond to them with compassion, with connection and really supporting them again. And another thing that is so vital, of course, is really trusting and supporting them to connect with their bodily cues and sensations. This really is the core to it all. It's coming back to really trusting. Their bodies are innately wise. And the more we can support them to listen into their bodily experience in relation to food, the more they're going to be able to feel how their body responds to different foods. And they're going to naturally then want to eat things that help them feel enjoyable sensations. And they're not going to want to eat what leads to discomfort. They'll know when they've had enough and they're going to naturally want to stop eating when they've had enough because they're not going to want to feel uncomfortable. And often this means they need to experience the discomfort and then not do it again. I wonder if you've done this too. I know a couple of years ago I got really into these organic crackers. I loved them. And then after eating quite a lot of them, I started to notice that actually the oil in them just was a bit, there was a kind of an aftertaste and actually I'm doing this kind of disgust face now. And I was I ate quite a lot and then increasingly I came to the point where like, oh, I really I just don't want to eat those because I just know that just that that oil in those that's no, that's a yuck now. So again, it's really trusting that sometimes children will need to eat things for a bit before they actually realise, oh, actually, no, I don't like this. <laughs> and I've got a few examples of this. I remember a friend once said to me, uh, the, my children were with their dad, so I wasn't there and they were out somewhere. I don't, can't remember what they were doing. But anyway, my friend came and said after, oh my God, they had, they had some chocolate cake and neither of them ate it all. And they both got to a certain point and said that they were full up and they left quite a lot of the chocolate cake. And she said, I was, I was in awe seeing that they could listen to their bodies and they didn't want it all. I've got another example with Sunny, and I'll probably share this in another episode, but I always remember as a child saying, I'm really excited to be an adult because then I can eat as much ice cream as I want. And so when my children were younger, we had, again, I'm so grateful, round about here, I live near some seaside towns, and there are quite a few of the shops have these gelato places which again beautiful well I'm pretty much vegan nowadays but anyway lots of ice cream choices lots of flavors and generally pretty low in terms of artificial things so we would often go out and they'd often ask for ice creams and sunny for quite some while really wanted to have three scoops and I went great I remember (laughs) being a child and thinking I want to be able to have as much ice cream as I want just go for it and so he did that for quite a few times he would have the three scoops but then what he experienced several times was you know I live in Australia it's quite often hot often the three scoops would get really melty so he'd end up with it all over his hands and he didn't like the sensation of having ice cream all over his hands or Actually, it was just 
too much and he'd feel a bit uncomfortable in his body from having three scopes. So through his own experience of actually experimenting with it and then experiencing what happens, he naturally then chose not to have three scoops. But he got to that through himself and really that's the difference. When we say as a parent, you know, no to whatever the thing is, like in this example, like me, you know, imagine little child me who just would have loved to have three scoops and was just basically wanting to become an adult so I could have the three scoops. If I had got to experiment, I might have also found actually I don't really want three scoops, but I would have known it for myself and I wouldn't have needed to wait decades to discover that for myself. So do you get the thing? It's really supporting children to experiment so they discover for themselves, oh, actually, I don't like that sensation in my body. That's too much. I feel too full. I feel a bit nauseous or I've got a headache or all the different sensations that foods can bring because we're listening to them, we're having conversations and they come to their own decisions where they then don't want to do that. They don't want to eat too much. They don't want to eat beyond the point of satiation. They don't want to eat three scoops in this case. And in relation to helping Lana, my daughter, return back to being deeply connected with her body, I did say earlier on I was going to share this. So... As I said early on, I, even though I knew about aware parenting, I did, we did listen to a lot of feelings, but I still very often fed her when she had healing feelings to express and she had a really big breastfeeding control pattern. But then I supported her to get free from that. And I remember when she was about coming up for three, I think we did lots of experiments. So... I remember sitting on the deck and we'd listen in, so we'd connect in before eating the food. What exact sensations are we feeling in our bodies? And then we'd have a few mouthfuls and then we'd just keep sharing with each other, you know, what's the sensation I feel now? What's the description of that? And is it like a tightness or a warmth or, you know, where am I feeling? And she'd point to the, the place on her stomach and I would do that too. And what I discovered very quickly is she very quickly became way more connected into her body than I was. So actually, it didn't take long until she was, yeah, you know, I was learning from her, basically. Another thing, I used to play a little game where when she said she was hungry, when she was moving away from the food control pattern is I'd say are you hungry for food or are you hungry for hugs and sometimes it'd actually be she wanted connection or we'd move into being playful and I find it interesting even now and my son's 17 now so often he'll when he's finished his food if he doesn't eat it all he says oh I'm sorry I didn't eat it all and I don't know why he says this because I never ask them to say sorry but just just shows again he's always oh I'm sorry I didn't eat it all and I always say to him I really love that you listen to your body and I love that I'm I've told him that literally thousands and thousands of times <laughs> and I just think it's so lovely and you know, I see them now and particularly my daughter who I helped to disconnect from her body and then I was able to help her reconnect and she has such a healthy relationship with food and I love that for her as a young woman to be deeply connected with her body, her innate wisdom. It's so wonderful. 
And what I find with aware parenting is it just can be really enjoyable. And I do want to say there were some years where, you know, particularly where I was a newly single parent, where I just really didn't enjoy making food. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> make it again. And I would make the simplest thing for several years. I made the simplest foods possible. And so I'm sending you so much love and compassion if you're in that stage. But what I found nowadays is I've really returned again to just really enjoying, like loving to knowing what each of them loves and their uniqueness of what they really, really love. And you know, just really being interested in that and how enjoyable that is. To, it's that kind of discovery to find out what they love and what their new thing is and so thinking about that, each child is so unique and some may not like particular flavours or textures or mixtures and really having what they love in the house and us giving them those things and offering those things can meet so many needs for care and for mattering and for being understood. It can be such a beautiful experience. So another thing we can do is as much as possible be relaxed and playful around food and to make mealtimes as enjoyable as possible so again that might require quite a lot from us to be relaxed you might not feel relaxed at all you might feel really tense and again I'm sending you lots of love if that's the case so we might be doing play and attachment play to support ourselves releasing stress that can be really helpful I'd love to share something that we did as a family again when my children were younger and it was the four of us still. We would go to this particular cafe that we really loved and they had this most delicious, I don't remember what it was called now, it was some kind of chocolate pudding. It was so delicious. And so we would go to this cafe together and it was a bit of a family ritual and we were kind of known for it in this cafe that we would order the chocolate pudding first it was so delicious and we were all just like oh it's so yummy and then we'd have the savory after it was just so fun and I think for me I know that was so much undoing of cultural conditioning for myself to just really really have fun and do things that were really not what we had grown up with so that was really fun so another thing we can do is modelling a healthy relationship with food and connection with our bodies. So again, they're learning from us. So doing our own inner work again. And what I often think about parenting is because we love our children so much, there's so many times, and I imagine you've experienced this too, where we might have continued doing a particular thing for the rest of our lives. But when we see the effects of that thing on our children that is the impetus for us to heal that or shift that or change that because we really really don't want to see them continuing that and relationship with food can certainly be that for many of us another thing is deep compassion for ourselves whatever's going on in relation to food I invite you to have absolute unconditional love for yourself so again I was sharing about compassion for myself for all, all those years where it was a long-running joke with my friends, it's like, no, I don't make that food because it's got more than three ingredients in it. You know, I just was overwhelmed and stressed and all kinds of feelings. So that's one thing. I just made it really simple for myself and was aimed to be really compassionate with myself. I wasn't quite as competent as that back then, but looking back now, I'm really compassionate with myself. 
and you might be curious about my lovelies now and probably going to talk about this more in future episodes but as I said my daughter has a super healthy relationship with food she got over that control pattern she loves a variety of foods she's always loved spicy foods she likes to eat different things all the time my son is really different he doesn't really like sweet foods which is really interesting to me He's always just liked a few meals. He often likes like about four main ones that I circulate that he enjoys. And I just aim to make them as healthy as I possibly can. And nowadays I still cook different meals for them. And I actually really enjoy it nowadays most of the time. And my mum's living here in my living room from the floods way back in the day. So she and I often eat the same thing, but sometimes we don't so I often end up creating all different things and I actually just really enjoy that I love going food shopping I love going food shopping and I love coming back with things that I know each of them love and I love going to them and saying look here's your x y and z (laughs) whatever their current favorites are is I just love that it brings me great joy my son's just loving this drink called ginger nectar at the moment he just loves these Mexican gluten-free pies and he loves organic oat cookies with chocolate chips so I love buying those and delivering them to him and my daughter loves coffee flavored chocolate or lovely organic chocolate and spicy food I love buying spicy things for her and it's just so fun doing that little delivery and here you go (laughs) and same with my mum and they're really happy and it's a lovely thing isn't it again that that need to matter and to be cared about it can be so enjoyable that we know what they love and we give that to them and we offer that and we get to contribute so it can be really an enjoyable experience so I did want to say as well that I have generally noticed as well that if children get to and this really goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning in terms of our ancestry, that if children get to be a part of buying food, if you've got a veggie garden, growing food, preparing food, like especially if they're younger, you might have a learning tower and they're part of creating that food. I loved Montessori for that reason, to for them to be a part of that process. I generally find that children who really get to be involved in it they tend to also have more joy in relation to food so that can be a helpful thing to hold in mind too so anyway I could clearly talk about this for many hours (laughs) you know every inside detail about my family now anyway I really enjoyed talking with you about this and I again I'm just sending you so much love putting into practice any of this all of this can be so hard for so many reasons so again I'm sending you lots of love and compassion and I really invite you to put those sticks down and if you do want to dive into this deeper again I really recommend Aletha Salter's book Cooperative and Connected she's got a beautiful chapter on this and the whole book is just so helpful and so full of amazing ideas I have got my new book coming out soon where I talk about all of this stuff and also I have my Aware Parenting with Marion course. The live round of that starts on the 4th of November and there's modules on this and as part of that live round there are Zoom calls but also 
you get to come and ask as many questions as you want and I respond to them with Facebook Live just for you. So if you want to come and ask questions about your own family situation in relation to this, I would love to support you. And if you're listening to this another time, that course is open all year round, so it's got plenty of information in there. So thank you so much for listening. I am actually going off to make some lovely dinner for my mum and me. The others have already had their food. And yes, yeah, how do you feel? I invite you to listen in to yourself. If you've got an empathy buddy or a listening partner, I invite you to connect in and share any feelings or thoughts you might have. It might support you to explore and inquire. And again, I want to remind you that every family is so different. We are each so unique. We each have such different history and we in different situations in the here and now and our lineages are different so it's so important to really hold in mind that we are different each child is unique and each family's journey in relation to food is going to be so unique too so I so support you in your unique journey thank you so much for listening and I really look forward to talking to you again in the next episode lots of love to you